Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. We started a series last week um, called Whole Soul. Whole Soul. And uh, in this, this, this series, we were focusing in on the question, what does the soul need to be most healthy and to be most whole? What does the soul need? And the reason why this is an important question is because it's impossible for you and I to be healthy and whole without having a healthy and whole soul. The soul, actually, a healthy and whole soul is what makes you whole. And God is in the process in all of us of bringing health and wholeness to our soul. The soul is actually the landscape that God does this work in. He does it on a soul level. And so last week, uh, we saw that God has a heart for us to have a healthy soul. We see that in 3 John, verse 2, when John, the disciple of Jesus, is writing to a friend of his, Gaius, and he says this. He said, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. See, God, at the, at the base level, he wants us to have a healthy soul. This is what that scripture ind- indicates. And so we focused on two things. The first that we focused on last week is what the soul is. Beth actually talked about it briefly. The human soul is comprised of the combination of your mind, that's your thoughts, your will, your desires, your emotions, your feelings, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Simplest understanding of what the soul is, is that it is the, it's who you are on the inside. Your soul is your internal reality. It's your inner you. Beth also mentioned the scripture from Psalms 103.1, where David defined what the soul is. He said, it was all that was within him. Second most important thing that we found last week is we discovered that the soul is eternal. The Greek meaning of the word soul verifies this in that the soul is the essence inside of us, which differs from the body in that it is not dissolved by death. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11, Solomon, the wisest person to have ever lived, he he talked about this when he said that God has placed eternity, which I believe is the soul in the human heart. What this shows is that God has planted an eternal thing inside of us, called the soul, and because it is eternal, it will perpetually desire to be reconnected to its eternal source, which is God. And it it desires that because that's where satisfaction, that's where fulfillment, that's where completion ultimately comes from. It comes from your soul being reconnected to God. And so when we fail to recognize this need in our soul, that's when our soul becomes unhealthy. That's when our soul, the needs of our souls truly go unmet. I use this example in John chapter 4 of the woman, uh, the Samaritan woman who had had five husbands. And the reason for the five husbands, one of the reasons was because I firmly believe that she was trying to fulfill the eternal longing of her soul with another man. And there was a misappropriation of what her soul actually needed. 
And so she was perpetually trying to fulfill an eternal longing with something natural. And it perpetually ended up coming, short, coming up short. And so as we go into this, for the next several weeks, what I want to do is I want to identify the other things that your soul needs to be healthy and whole. And to do that, we're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 2. Specifically, Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through, I believe, verse 9 today. And actually, we'll be back in Genesis 2 for the rest of the month. So, Genesis chapter 1, just to give you some context, for most of you, you already know this, but in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created the earth. He created the world. He created the universe. Genesis chapter 2, we see something more specific. We see where God placed humanity. Now, I want you to get this because this is so important for the rest of the series today and for the month. God plants Adam in verse 8. He plants Adam, the first human being, in a place called what? Eden. Eden. It's important for us to understand that Eden was not like every other place on the earth. Eden was unique. It was a garden. It was this place where we find out that God was in close proximity to mankind. If we look at the continent, we see that there are four rivers, Tigris and Euphrates. It was, this Eden was in the proximity of these rivers. Isn't it interesting that God did not create mankind, place them in South America, and then say, good luck, come find me. He placed them in the place he was at. And that place was Eden. Eden in the Hebrew means paradise. Paradise. Uh, that, that indicates that Eden was different from the rest of the earth. earth. Earth was as it was, but there was this garden called Eden, and he creates mankind, and he places them specifically there. Now, it's not only paradise, but it also means most pleasing. So listen, when God placed Adam in Eden, he was literally placing him in the best environment that he could create on the planet. He didn't just place them anywhere. He created them and placed them in the best. What that tells us is that Eden was the original environment that God designed humanity to live in and function in. You, gotta, you really got to pay attention to what God's plan was here. Eden was the environment that God created for humanity to live in and function in. Remember when he says, be fruitful and multiply and take dominion over the earth. It was the multiplication of humanity in Eden. And as humanity multiplied, Eden multiplied with it. So that ultimately the earth would be filled with Eden because of the dominion of the people he created in Eden, spreading Eden on the earth. This is the mission of the kingdom, right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't it interesting that Eden in the Hebrew is paradise, and when Jesus was on the cross and the thief next to him said, Master, he said, will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? What did he say to him? He said, today, you will be with me in paradise. paradise. Eden 
was unique because it was a microcosm of heaven on earth. The mission has always been the same. The mission has always been to spread heaven till it covers the earth. I believe it's Haggai or Habakkuk says, as the waters cover the sea, so the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. So when Jesus, the second Adam, as Corinthians says, comes, the mission has not changed. He comes to bring heaven to the earth. That's why he tells the disciples, this is how you should pray. Your kingdom come. It, it does not change. God's mission has not changed. And so this environment is so important for us to, to understand. Now, obviously, because of sin, there's been a separation from that environment. And the redemption story of Jesus is the story of God providing a means for humanity to get back to Eden. But we need to first understand this. Because Eden was the original environment that God designed for the human, designed for the human being to live in and thrive in, that also tells us that this same environment was and is the most conducive place for the human soul to be healthy and whole. Eden is the environment that is the most conducive place for the human soul to be healthy and whole. Why is this important? This is important because the more our own lives mirror the environment of Eden, the healthier and more whole our souls will be. Once again, this is the environment that God designed for the human soul. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. I'm with you. And so the first thing we see in the setting of Eden that produces health and wholeness in the soul is that God created mankind to be in close proximity to himself. Now, this is important. There is no Garden of Eden without God's presence. What makes Eden Eden is God's presence. And I'm going to go on a pre-planned tangent, but I think that American culture needs to hear this. Where people make the mistake is that they try to create paradise on earth because of the eternal longing in their soul. But when God isn't at the center, nothing about the Eden they create will be sufficient because their soul still lacks what it longs for because it isn't connected to God. The American dream is an Eden microcosm. The fact that we want a big house, we, got th we want three kids and a white picket fence, green grass, and we want a healthy dog, it's because we are longing for an ideal. We're longing for paradise. We just made it the American dream. But guess what? A garden without God will not be Eden. It just won't. And we can slip, we can go down a slippery slope with the American dream infiltrating our mentality and our mindset about the kingdom, hoping that we can create our own God, but if God's our, our own garden, but if God's not at the center, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment. By the way, this is why so many people have so much and yet they're so unhappy. Because they have created Eden without God at the center. See, the American dream without God at the center will not satisfy the soul. Remember in Luke 18, when Jesus said, how hard is it for the wealthy to enter the kingdom? Yeah. 
Why did he say that? He said that not because wealth was the problem. One of the reasons for this is because wealth, with wealth comes an ideology that you believe you can buy anything. And when you get wealthy, everything has a price tag. And so when he said, how hard is it for the wealthy to enter the kingdom? One of the implications and meanings of that is, son, you cannot buy paradise. You think you can buy paradise, but it cannot be bought. It has to be purchased for you. And the person who will purchase paradise on your behalf is standing in front of you. You can't pay the price tag to get into Eden. I'm the way in. Are you listening to what I'm saying? This was the rich young ruler's reality. So we understand that Eden is only Eden because of God's presence. Genesis 3.8 says that God walked in the garden. He walked. So God was in close proximity to Adam so that his soul can be in constant and consistent connection to its source. But in addition to the presence of God, we will also see that God had specific things present in the garden because in his omniscience, he knew what our souls would need to be most healthy and whole. We see that in verse seven through nine. This is the second thing. Every single week, we are going to take, uh, we're gonna identify another one of those things that makes the soul most healthy and whole. So if you're with me, say, I'm with you. Genesis chapter two, verse seven through nine. This is in the ESV version. It says, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils. What was that breath? That was the soul. He placed animation into the shell. He breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And then the Lord God planted a garden in the east, Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And I want you to notice what the narrative says in this next verse, because this is where we find the next element in the garden. In verse nine, out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Every, everything that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. I don't know about you, but I think this is a, a pretty small detailed description of Eden that is often overlooked. How many of you in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says all scripture is inspired by God. So there has to be a reason why these details are in here. Genesis was written by Moses. It was not necessarily written, it was recorded. God spoke to him, gave him the creation story. Moses wrote it down. So what are these details about? Why did God provoke and inspire Moses to write this detail when he was writing the book of Genesis? Did he make the trees pleasant and the food to be good for himself? No, he made it for humanity because remember he placed them there. So then why did he make these things for humanity? What message do these details reveal about the second thing that our soul needs to be healthy and whole. This, the answer is so simple. If you read between the lines, and I don't believe this is an exaggeration because we'll get into it. The second thing our souls need is adequate margin in our lives for rest and for relaxation. 
rest and relaxation. How do I pull that out of that? God spoke to Moses and said, and he made the trees pleasant and the food good. What does that have to do with rest and relaxation? Because when you give in to the perpetual tyranny of the urgency and tyranny of the urgent, and you're on the run and you're on the go, you are less aware of what God has provided in your environment on your behalf. You're not even present. You're hurrying, you're running, you're urgent, you're worn out, you're weary, you're grabbing a bite on the run. And God said, I created an environment for you to relax in, for you to enjoy, for you to have peace, for it to be pleasant, for you to appreciate it, for you to have rest. Listen, our souls need relaxation. Our souls need enjoyment. Our souls need peace. I hope you get this. God did not create humanity, place them in paradise, create trees that were pleasant to the sight and food that was good to the taste, only for the human beings that he created to live out their lives at a frenzied pace that is all work, no play, that ultimately leads to burnout and barrenness in the soul. He did not create them to run at a pace that perpetually causes exhaustion. We are called to live out a counter-cultural life. I don't know if you see this, but America's pace is frenzied. Let me give you a quote from one of the top cultural icons of the day. Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon. Listen to what he said about the work-life balance. How many of you ever heard work-life balance? Mm -hmm. What that indicates is that you're supposed to clock in and then you're supposed to clock out. Listen to what Jeff Bezos says. He said, my view of striking a work-life balance is that it is a debilitating phrase. In other words, you're never supposed to clock out. It's debilitating for you to strike a life-work balance. You should constantly be working. He actually created this terminology that uh, the life-work balance is more of a circle. You, You don't actually have a dedicated time where you work. You just continue to work. You just take these small. Guess what? That's going to lead to burnout. Because God created us to have rest. He created us to stop. Bill Gates boasts about how many hours he works, but are we a part of a different kingdom or not? One of the ways that I believe we will model that is through not caving to the tyranny of the urgency, but creating intentional space in our lives for rest. When your coworkers that don't believe in the Jesus you believe in are saying, I'm gonna put in a couple hours, and you say, I'm done, clocking out, it's over at five, I'm on my way. It's gonna communicate something. 
It's going to communicate that you are not caving to the tyranny of urgency. Now, let me stop right here because people are freaking out. They're like, do I not work overtime? I understand. There are times when you need it, but you have to have space and margin in your life to rest because if you don't, your soul will get burned out and it will be empty and weak and barren. Remember, in the commandments of God, God said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day. Now, here's the crazy thing about that. So often Christians see the Sabbath as an optional commandment. No one argues about the other ones. We, we, we don't argue about thou shalt not murder, or thou shalt not steal. But we try to justify why we don't take a Sabbath. And let me tell you, I believe one of the reasons why all the other nine get violated is because you won't observe that one. Because you work yourself to a place where your flesh is so weak and born out, worn out that you end up caving and compromising in the area of sin. And it has everything to do with the fact that you wouldn't stop and observe what God said that you are to observe. You know, in Daniel, Daniel had a prophetic word. And the prophetic word was that the adversary of the soul would change the times and the seasons. There was a day in American culture where no one worked on Sunday. Why? Because culturally we observe the Sabbath. Not anymore. And he said that he would wear out the saints of the Most High God by changing times and seasons. We're called to live countercultural. You will be worn out if you follow along with the way the adversary is eliminating rest from the lifestyle of an American. You have to have the margin. You need relaxation. We're called to be a different part of a different kingdom. The life of following Jesus is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Paul talked about this in Hebrews 12. He said it's an endurance race. You got to have pit stops. God did not design us to live our lives perpetually on the run where we can't even enjoy the life that God has given us. We can be so focused in this life on the next life that we don't even appreciate this life that God has given us. And let me tell you something, I see it, I see something very toxic, and I don't even know if this is called prophetic, but I observe it from discernment in my spirit when I look on Instagram and social media, when I follow pastors. Pastors post messages that they're preaching their heart out. Pastors, spiritual leaders post prayer meetings. They post uh, miracle sessions. They post about fasting. And all it does is it perpetuates an ideology that if you're a Christian, you have to constantly be striving, working, fasting, praying, and it communicates no margin. And that is what young Christians are looking up to and aspiring. They don't post pictures when pastors are doing nothing. And I wonder if some of the mentality is actually the infiltration of the adversary changing the times and seasons. And we're creating an unhealthy picture of what it looks like to walk with Jesus, not run with Jesus. It is a marathon not a sprint. 
I got good news for you. There are a couple days in the morning when I get up at 6 a.m. and I pray, and then there are a couple days throughout the week that I'm not up till 7 because I slept in. And the reason why I slept in is because I believe in grace. I'm not going to strive myself spiritually to death. God is good. And we have to break an unhealthy ideology of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Notice the pace of God in the garden. He wasn't running, he was walking. There's a pace to this life. We have to understand there's a pace to it. We can't burn ourselves out all the time. See, what these subtle details of Genesis 2-9 speak is that we need margin in our lives on a consistent basis so that our soul can rest, unwind, enjoy life, relax, and be at peace. If we don't have rest, the weariness of our souls will wreak havoc on our minds, our wills, and our emotions, and even our physical health. We were designed to need it. How do I know that? Because in, the, in World War II, the Nazis did an experiment. They brought in patients, put them in a room, put blaring music on, and they deprived them of sleep to, to see the effects of no rest on the human body. And they went crazy. They literally went crazy. They started to hallucinate. They started to do unspeakable things. Why? Because human beings were, were created to have margin where they cease from what they're doing because your soul needs it. If rest wasn't important, God would have never done it himself. I want you to get how deep this is. Look at Genesis chapter two, verse three. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now, let me stop right here because this blew my mind as the Holy Spirit. I believe it wasn't just my thought. I believe that God, God was like, here you go, buddy. If God is omniscient, omnipotent, God omniscient, all-knowing, all omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, he can be everywhere at one time. If he's all those things, he could have stopped. He could have kept on going. He could have kept on creating. He could have kept on working. He could have kept on expanding. But God himself says, that's enough. I'm done. And yet, we have a propensity to never be done. We don't have that own regulator in our soul. And, and, and here's the reality. Every one of us has a different threshold. You know when you're done. You know when you have nothing else to give. And yet perpetually, over and over again, we cross that line. I gotta keep going, I gotta keep going. I understand there's moments where it's needed, but there are other times where you have to say, enough is enough, enough, I'm going to live to fight another day. God did not call me to be a slave to the tyranny of urgency, I'm done. I am clocking out for the health of my soul. And can I tell you, this culture and this work, 
mentality is not going to cater to that. They are going to constantly push, 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 push. That's how you know this mentality is countercultural. Genesis 2-3 shows us that he valued rest. Number one thing that it reveals, God stopped working even though he could have continued. But he said enough is enough. Rome is not conquered in a day. We have to define a boundary to work where we have done enough and it's time to stop. When we don't create a boundary for our work, our souls will become unhealthy because we are lacking the necessary rest that our souls need to be healthy and whole. Second thing we see here, I love this, and I hope this breaks some mindsets. God rested and called it sanctified. You know what sanctified means? Holy. Holy. God called rest holy. You know what Peter says in 1 Peter? Be holy as I am holy. So guess what? If you won't rest, you aren't being holy. You're actually missing a piece of what it means to be holy as he is holy. Your rest is sanctified. To rest is to do something holy. Your holiness is practiced in resting. Stopping to rest is as holy as your work is. I'm not coming against work because... We'll talk about that in weeks to come. I love this. God put Adam in the only place where work was required. So work is another thing your soul needs to be healthy and whole. Why? Paul was not, when, when Paul in the New Testament said, a man who does not work does not deserve to eat, he wasn't just being critical. He was just saying, there's something unhealthy in the soul of a man who won't work responsibility, purpose, actually satisfies some of the longing of your soul. God designed us to work, but there has to be a balance. That's where things get off. Rest, write this down, rest is the sacred act of laying your personal striving and effort on an altar as a fragrant offering to God. Your rest is actually worship. You know what else is worship? Spending time with your kids. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Spending time with your children is worship to God. It is. When you know why you're doing it, you having time pouring into the next generation is worship to God. Your resting is an act of worship. I love what Judah Smith says on this topic. And by the way, I want to encourage you, if you have not, buy the book, How's Your Soul? Um, There's so much in this book uh, talking about health in your soul. He says this, why is rest first? Rest is first because God is first. A restless soul is a soul that thinks it is in control and needs to take care of everything. If we do not rest, we are trying to be our own God. We have to remember that even when we rest, God does not sleep, uh, does not. When we sleep, God does not. And when we cease working, God does not. 
It's a, I love this. He goes on to say, it's amazing how big of a deal we become in our own minds sometimes. It leads to so much anxiety and fear. Do you know where worry comes from? From thinking we are in control. True rest is unattainable for people who are obsessed with leading their own lives. But rest is supposed to be one of the primary postures of those who know Jesus because we have a God who is in control and is in taking care of us. Can I tell you, rest reminds you that you're human. And we need to be reminded because the cares of the world and the responsibilities that we bear can be so overwhelming at times that we can believe that it is only in our capacity to have to make everything happen. But we have a God that says, it's not all on you. You're human. You're not me. Enough is enough. Stop and trust that I'm going to fill the margin and be able to do what you can't do in your own work. Five truths about rest, and then we're going to close. Number one, work without rest is actually counterproductive. Do you understand that actually scientists are finding this out? That the, you only have so much capacity, and then you just need to break. Like, you can only pour out so much, and then you need to stop. It's a scientific thing, but it's been in Scripture all along. Work without rest is actually counterproductive. Look at Psalm 127, verses 1 through 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Jesus echoed this in the parable of the farmer who sowed the seed. Remember, oh my gosh, this is so incredible. One of the, one of the most overlooked parables in scripture. It says that a man sowed, went to sleep, woke up and it was grown and he had no idea how it grew. That's God working when you're resting. If you are go, go, go and constantly working, you're actually cutting yourself off from what God can do if you would just obey his command to stop. It's vanity. It's in vain. God can do more in your sleep than he can in your striving. Second thing is this. Rest is not rest if it is religious or ritualistic. It's not. We, we rest not to be religious, we rest out of our relationship with Jesus Christ. The problem with the Pharisees is that they made rest work. They made it something they checked off a list and they would criticize and condemn people that would violate it. They made it a ritual. They made it religious practice. Listen, if you have a hard time resting, this is my encouragement. Don't sit and do nothing and hate it. And just be like, I'm doing nothing until I enjoy it. That's ritualistic. 
You're going to hate it. Here's what you do need to do. You need to get before Jesus and you need to say, why can't I rest? Why, why, can't, why can't I enjoy doing nothing? What, what's going on in my soul, Jesus, that I can't be still and know that you're God? You know God wants to be the God of your stillness? He wants to be God of it all. Why can't I do nothing and be okay? What, what is going on in my soul? Can I tell you, that is a natural indicator that something's unhealthy in your soul, that you can't be still and do nothing. What's going on there? Can I, let, let's talk about this. Sometimes we won't be still because of what comes up that we've put down, that we ignore. So we run from stillness because we don't like the pain that we've been pushing down. And what rest actually does is it naturally allows undealt with pain that has been toxic to your soul for a long time, even though you've been ignoring it, to come up so that God can heal it. Can I tell you something? It's not going to go away. It's hurting you either way. You've got to deal with it. You've got to allow God in the stillness to be the God of your stillness. Bring it up. And even if it hurts, God, I need to be able to enjoy. That's one of the ways that the enemy wears out the saints. I'm going to keep you busy so that you can't be still because when you're still, everything that, that has hurt you comes up. And so you run from it. Rest is not rest if it's religious or ritualistic. So rest is not supposed to feel like work. Jesus what knows what our soul needs and is Jesus who can lead you to know what your rest is supposed to be like. It's not, let me tell you, it's not a reality for me to rest on a Sunday. I'm working right now. So I need to get rest somewhere else. If I was religious, I would say we're having church on Saturday. Because Sunday's the day where I'm supposed to keep the Sabbath. Good luck. Rick's preaching. Figure it out. It's, it's not about a day. It's about a posture. It's about an attitude. It's about understanding you need margin. And God will lead you to when that is. See, if your rest is an enjoyable, peaceful, relaxing, or pleasant, you're doing it wrong. Number three, rest teaches us to embrace grace. Teaches us to embrace grace. Grace has a pace. Grace has a rhythm. Practicing rest teaches us to trust in God's grace to take care of us as we rest. Grace is a gift that God gives us to remind us that we are human. Here's the other thing about taking rest. Rest reminds us that we're human beings, not human doings. We're not do, 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 do. Rest requires you to just be. To be in the moment. 
to the young people, and they already know this, but I'll just say it so the adults can keep them accountable. I have, my wife has, I've actually went to my wife and I've had her set limitations on my social media. So there are certain hours in the day that I can't even access it. Why? Because perpetual scrolling is not giving you rest. Waking up in the middle of the night and getting on the internet is not giving you rest. So I have created boundaries for the health of my soul. So that I'm not, I'm not up when I shouldn't be up. Number one, that's stupid because your flesh is weak. So I'll cut, up the, cut off the opportunity for me to compromise and cave and give in to maybe a lustful desire getting on social media in the middle of the night looking up something I shouldn't be looking at. That's the one thing. But it's, it's beyond that for me. It's that I can't be present with my family. What my natural tendency when I get tired is to scroll until the kids go to bed. I don't want my children, their main picture of their dad was sitting on the couch scrolling when I could be present. Because there are trees he created for me to appreciate and food for me to enjoy. And when I am tired, if I don't have those boundaries, I won't be present to appreciate the fact that my kids are gifts from God. We're human beings, not human doings. Number, number five. Four, sorry. I just did that to see if you were following. Learn that from Pastor Dwight. Number four, rest reminds us that God is our provider. Isaiah 58, 13 through 14, if you watch your step on the Sabbath and don't use my holy day for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day is a celebration, if you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. You know, God wants you to enjoy him. You don't enjoy God if it's go, 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 work, work, work. He wants you to enjoy him. I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. And watch this. I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor Jacob. What's that speaking? That's speaking to the provision that God has in store for you as your provider while you're resting. I'll give you the inheritance of your ancestor Jacob. Yes, God says, it's, says so. How many of you love Chick-fil-A? How many of you are, how many of you remember how much you love Chick-fil-A by how sad you are on Sundays when you drive by and forget it's closed? Do you know that the founder of Chick-fil-A, Truett Cathy, believed in this? He said, I, this is amazing. He said, God can make me more money in six days than I can working in seven. Because he is the provider. And when you follow the principles of God's word and surrender and submit your soul to his guidelines, he's going to fill the margin and take care of you. 
God reminds us that he's, rest reminds us that he's the provider. And the last one, receive the constant invitation from Jesus to rest. Receive it. It's there all the time. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Are you tired? Anybody tired? Worn out? Don't answer the next one. <laughs> I'm kidding. Burned out on religion. Jesus says this, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. What was Jesus saying here? He was the second Adam. And basically what he is saying is I'm the gateway for your soul to get back to the environment of Eden where it is most healthy and whole. I am the way back to the original environment where God created your soul and your life to be most healthy and whole. Come to me. You'll recover a life. He's the way back. It goes on to say, I will show you how to take a real rest. Now listen to this next part. Not run with me. Walk with me. And work with me. Watch how I do it. Here's grace has a pace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The New American Standard says this, and you will find rest for your soul. Will you stand with me? We need rest. We need to have moments in our lives where we just stop. To, to, to make it, to, to, to create an illustration, one of the best things for your soul is to put on some sweatpants. Your soul needs some sweatpants. Your soul needs some sweatpants and a comfortable hoodie and a blanket and a fire and some good food. Hey, can I tell you? You know that feels good, right? That was on purpose because it's healthy for your soul. What are you doing today? Watching football. Your definition of spiritual activity has to shift for you to understand rest. Because we think spiritual activity, we think fasting, praying, worshiping, reading the Bible, taking communion. It's got to change. Because if God commanded it, it's spiritual activity. It's not to be lazy because we can come for that in the responsibility sermon. It's getting to the point 
where you understand, I have crossed the threshold of my capacity. I am not God. I'm done. I'm done. Even some of the old saints that we admire and we read books about did not rest, and it was not healthy. There's a rhythm. Grace has a pace. Rest is a part of what your soul needs to be healthy and whole. So when you go home, put some sweatpants on. Because God created us to enjoy this life. If you're in the room and you're like, on a soul level, I feel just tired. Will you slip your hand up? Okay, this is what we're going to do. I want you to go to a person. We're going to pray for the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. Flip your hand up so you can see. Come on. Find somebody with their hand raised. If you, if, if you can't move, just stretch your hands towards somebody. I'm going to read Psalms 23. And then just let's pray for each other. Psalms 23, listen to this, receive this. The Lord is your best friend and your shepherd. With him, you always have more than enough. Today, he offers you a resting place in his luxurious love. His tracks to you are an oasis of peace, the quiet brooks of bliss. And this is where he restores and revives your soul. Heavenly Father, I pray over every person in the room that is bone tired on a soul level. Lord, I pray for refreshing in Jesus' name. Refreshing. Father, that there would be winds of refreshing, that the Holy Spirit would, would breathe oxygen into the soul, that would revive the soul, restore the soul, refresh the soul. I come against every ounce of condemnation that your fatigue would say you're not enough. I come against that right now, that slave lie that the enemy would put inside of you to wear out the saints of the Most High God, I come against that right now, and I pray right now that there would be no condemnation. That you are a human being, not a human doing. That His grace is sufficient and made perfect in your weakness. And so right now, I pray for rest to come in to the soul, to remind every one of these people in this room that they are not God, that you are God and they are not, and that you have created us to experience rest. 
and relaxation and enjoyment and refreshing and peace. God, I pray for peace to come on the souls right now. And Lord, you are the great physician of our souls. And so God, I pray in these people's stillness that all of the pain that would resurface, I pray they would begin to release it to you, that you could begin to repair, fix, damaged things inside of the soul that are broken and hurting. Everything, mm, everything that has been pushed down, that has been, we've been running away from, we've been avoiding, I pray you would touch it right now. And I, I sense the Holy Spirit saying, will you give it to me? Will you give it? Because you've been wearing yourself out, not allowing me to touch you in your stillness. So Father, we pray for healing right now. In Jesus' name. Come to me and you will recover your life. God, I pray for the control freaks in the room. I pray there would be a letting go. Letting go. Trusting. Letting go control. Jesus' name. Amen. We love you. We will see you next week for week three. If you're a visiting today, I would love to speak with you. If you have RSVP'd for the meeting afterwards today, uh, head over to the youth room when you get a chance. The last thing I will say is please don't forget to give to Joe and Lily Colucci, whether in person or online. God bless you guys. We'll see you later. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.